Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. My name is Takwa. My last name is Surapati. I am a cancer care chaplain. I'm a chaplain at Stanford Healthcare. Um, and that's how I get to be in the world of caring and um, delivering spiritual care. Takwa was very gracious in offering her time and sharing a bit about her work with us. She describes what it is like to be a first responder to people presented with a sense of their own mortality, which often manifests as spiritual questions. Why death? Why suffering? Why me? English is not my first language. You will see me um, mixing my um, grammars and future and past and present tense. But um, I do believe that communication is also not something that you always do with spoken language, but with Mm -hmm. other things. So I use a lot of kind of like body language and my twinkling smiles and whatever I can to be with others um, as I deliver um, spiritual care. What is, a, what is a day as a chaplain at Stanford Hospital look like for you? Mm. What, is, what does a typical day look like? That's a very good question. Um, because sometimes I ask that myself. <laughs> it's as if there is no typical day. No. <laughs> Even the word typical is already, let's use it contingently, right? Yeah, but um, as a broad stroke is what I do. Um, I offer um, support for emotional support, um, spiritual support for patients, families, um, friends of patients, and also for um, the caring team and staff in the hospital. Prior to Prior to becoming staff chaplains, um, um, I used to, as a student, you're required to carry the on-call pager overnight. As staff chaplains, we don't do that anymore, but I still carry on-call pagers. And meaning on-call pagers is that you would get every um, call from the hospital, any spiritual care needs from patients or families, and then we would try to attend. So a day for me would start in the morning. Um, the most basic thing I would um, usually go to my computer, um, open up, you know, fixing all the emails, taking care of that, or what's pending, or if I get special message and um, request to visit a, a certain patients, and then I would start my day going to the floors. Um, I have three units at Stanford Hospital. So my census list would go from, um, if it's full, it's 18 times three. It's like in the 50s. Um, Each day I would carry a census for that many people. So it's obvious that I could not visit everybody in one day. So I would um, prioritize who's the most sickest, who's in spiritual crisis, and I would go and visit them. So um, my ears and eyes on the units are the nurses and my colleagues, um, um, social workers. So I also do cultivate relationships um, with other staff members um, working as a team. 
uh, how do how do the staff recognize that a patient or somebody that they're caring for needs a chaplain? Ah, that's also a good question. Um, the probably the most obvious one is when someone is in cr emotional crisis, right? They have visibly signs of being, you know, you name the, the feelings. They're probably very sad, so they're crying. They're probably very upset, so they're angry. Uh, I attended um, events in the past where people are punching walls, wow. right? But that's when we go to crisis mode. Um, other than that, it sometimes can be very subtle. The nursing staff can see that someone is thinking um, a lot about how they should proceed the next step, for instance, because you know um, the type of illness that that I have in my unit for the patients that I cared for. Someone once told me that having cancer is like having a second job or like a job. You have to it goes through a long period of time, and between you know between that and the process, there are many branches that. You know, you need to make decisions for. So sometimes might might be deep in thought of not knowing, you know, what they need to do next, or um, or people could sometimes, you know, want to talk to someone, and other staff could be really busy, and if the chaplain is someone, you know, um, quote unquote, have you know, can be there for a long time or have time to spend with people to listen. So that's how they um, do their spiritual, um, it's kind of like a well, general assessment of if there is any spiritual care needs or emotional needs that can be helpful with um, with presence of someone from chaplaincy. Or what, what are the kinds of things that you say to somebody, uh, say somebody who's really, angry about a diagnosis somebody who's punching a wall where do you begin where do you begin with someone it's, like it's, yeah it's really um it's really hard meaning like it's a case by case basis so remember that on-call pager that i told you in the beginning yeah. it could really be like a wild card you know every call that you that you get it could mean something you know that you never encountered prior so um i think there's not a lot of magic or or secret into chaplaincy work um i think by being really connected what inside of you like the core i i do believe that you know we all have spirituality right and then we all have this core inside us the more you're connected to your own core that's grounding you that in itself could be really powerful to encounter um, encounter situations that sometimes you know you don't know how to. So, for instance, in that um, the, the, the when someone's really angry and punching a wall, I if I when I encountered that I was a student chaplain, I wasn't afraid of my own safety. So I'm kind of standing not very far from him just kind of like letting him know that I am here. I'm not afraid of your anger. It, you know, whenever you're ready to get past that, then I am here. But in that situation, indeed, others are worried about safety for himself and for others. 
So security was called. Um, there are lots of people in the area. But um, it, it, it is a, a crisis in someone's mind when you're presented with life and death, which happen a lot in the hospital. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you find that more often than not, you are encountering people in crisis? Or do you also interact? I mean, you you mentioned that you know you have to prioritize because there's so many people. Right. Um, but do you, I, where do I want to go with this question? The, do you find that you're encountering people in crisis more often than not? It's kind of like yes and no. So also because of the type of illness that, um, that my patient population um, coming from, um, usually the trajectory of their illness is, um, can span at least four weeks, three weeks, the shortest probably two weeks, right? So there is opportunity to build relationship. And sometimes that one is the um, easiest to, I would say easiest, because then you can build connection and then relationship. And if they encounter some type of crisis, you already knew a little bit about them, right? So in the trajectory, it's kind of like, okay, it's more natural. And sometimes it's just something that um, happened that you don't really know what's going on, but you are presented with the crisis. Um, so it's kind of like half and half. You can get called to something that emergently happening, but I can also um, um, present it with, for instance, like recently I got a patient who's been sick for a long time before um, got admitted to the hospital for bone marrow transplant. That's one of um, the big population of my patients. Um, so the crisis has been going on for him outside the hospital. When he came and become a patient, everything suddenly becomes really clear again. This is, this is a decision that he made to get better, but also there is a big possibility that this won't work and he'll die. So it is a crisis in that moment. And, you know, he cried and then I was, um, me and the social worker, we talk about the patient and she visited and then um, the, my colleagues visited and then I also visited the patient. So, so in that sense, we are really working as a team and not only as, you know, I'm not going in solo, you know, doing everything on my own because I do have other team members, other chaplains that I can refer to or other colleagues from different disciplines that, you know, we are carrying this whole person. I always like to say that, you know, the type of care that we want to deliver is it's a wholesome approach, I said. You know, the doctors and nurses, this is how I sometimes introduce myself to patients. The doctors and nurses are really caring for your body, your cells, you know, whatever reactions or side effect and medications, everything. But also there are us, I said, that would really like to take care of what's going on inside you. And I sometimes um, point or, you know, put my hand on my heart, what's going on inside you, because we really do want to to have this wholesome approach um, in, in caring, in healthcare. Right. Uh, so I, I hear from you one of the ways that you invite people to kind of open to what you described as a spiritual core is to sort of come into contact with 
their what they're feeling mm -hmm. so to put their hand on their hearts and to maybe feel it feel that emotion in their body somewhere mm -hmm. um, to ask people to articulate you know what is it that you're feeling how would you describe that do you think that that is uh is that a way i mean, i do that too I, I just wonder is that does that get to the sort of spiritual core of somebody uh, in the right. sense that like what is what is the spiritual core do you do you think oh, the, the spiritual core i think it's something that um it's part of you but you're right, it's connected to, to, the, to the feelings, but also I think it connected a lot with the work of the heart. So, um, because you can't see me, you know, and this would be recorded and only in voice, um, you won't recognize that I'm wearing a headscarf as a practicing Muslim woman. So, um, when I talk about spiritual core, I feel it is something that, it's almost like it's a seed inside each person's heart and that seed you know could be watered nurtured grow um, stronger at times you know it get to like a flood or something that it get withered a little bit and it may get strengthened again it might get withered and then do you see what I'm trying to say it's, it's yeah. kind of like there's this life cycle of spirituality mm -hmm. and I do um, I do draw my strength from my own personal practice of spiritual core of recognizing um, of recognizing who I am and I'm I always feel that I'm very blessed that I kind of know what God wants me to do not always I came to that later in my life you know since I become a chaplain I'm kind of like oh okay, I think this is kind of like what God wants me to do. And in that process, there is this, um, um, there is a, a surrendering because it's also part of my, um, part of the language of, as being a Muslim, you know, you surrender to God. Um, being, you know, being human, being part of his creation with the gifts that he gives me, with the blessings that I got in my life. Oh, that's the other thing that I want to talk about. Like the spiritual core, a lot of the questions has to do with suffering. Why? How much more? You know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't say that I answer it, but I listen to what people um, divulge as their suffer, what, what they're suffering from. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been listening to this podcast, you probably have a good sense of what it means to be on the spiritual journey. If you're curious about this, well, do you ever ask yourself questions around the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? Do you know yourself in your truest and fullest sense? Why are you here on this earth? What do you have to offer to the world? How can you be and sit with the inevitable pain, loss, and difficulty that beset us all at times? These are really deep questions and spiritual companions go to work every day, listening, asking questions, and offering compassion 
to help people like you find your own answers, workable answers, answers that are personal and practical, that build inner strength and equanimity. A spiritual companion listens to and honors without judgment your unique spiritual journey. Spiritual companions help each person find balance in the adventure of their lives and practice compassion with all whom they encounter. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship and we believe everyone should have a spiritual companion. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, The Seek and Find Guide, a database of over 7,000 spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The Seek and Find Guide is available on our website, sdiworld.org. And now here's part two of our conversation. I imagine that you get that why question a lot. Why am I suffering? Why, you know, why is this happening to me? And, you know, you have your own answers to that. I'd be interested to hear your, your personal answer to, to that question. And this is, this is where I, I want to go with the, with the spiritual core and the spiritual companionship component is that you First of all, I can hear the kindness in your voice. I can't see you, but I can I can already tell you're a very kind person. And <laughs> no, I told you about my twinkling smiles, but you yeah. can't see. <laughs> oh, I can picture it now in my in my mind's eye. <laughs> um, how do you encounter and find acceptance with suffering? Seeing as you you see so much of it, how do you deal with it? But also, how do you, when people ask you that question, why, why am I dealing with this? Why me? Mm-hmm. Um, as part of the spiritual companioning work is to, is to kind of help people. Uh, I, mean, I mean, maybe your definition of, of that, you might have an answer to that, uh, but that might not be the right answer for the person that you are companioning. Oh, yes. Does that make yes. sense? The, true, yes. Um, let me see how I can answer that. I think I have a sense of what you're trying to ask. And I think, you know, um, this is a, I never really, um, this is like a question that was rarely asked from my own perspective. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, here I am talking to a patient. The patient said, why the suffering? I can't give him my answer, but <laughs> I do feel that I have an understanding of it um, um, because of because of my own reality and this is one of the very few occasions that I feel that I can say what I think about it yes yeah, so yeah I, I really appreciate the question so um, let me see as Muslims if I start from there uh, I was born and raised a Muslim um, originally I'm from Indonesia I have lived in the U.S. for um, over this February would be 22nd. So still half of my life I lived outside the U.S. in in Asia, Indonesia, and Singapore. Then I came over here when I was 30, I think, yes. 
So I have a, a built-in life experience, right? And then being born and raised a Muslim, that life experience combined with the belief and the teachings of the religion give me almost like a picture of, oh, okay, suffering is there. Suffering is part and parcel of life. And then as a, there, you'll hear Muslims would, would explain suffering in one phrase, um, it's a test of life. The other part that I like to say to that is that it's not only a test in life, test of life, a test in life, it's also an opportunity with many opportunities to return back to God, meaning that, you know, um, knowing who you are in this life, like I said, I kind of have like an understanding of who I am, where I came from, what God wants from me in this life. Muslim believes there's only one lifetime, there's no do-over. So, and then Muslims believe that, you know, God gave you free choice to do whatever it is that you want with your life. You know, you want to be good, be good. You want to choose lesser than good choice, it's your choice. But there, you know, it's all within your life. So for me, suffering is, is that. It's part and parcel of life. Life would be good at some point. Life would go um, bad or outside of your control. Um, even when life is good, it is still a test of life, you know. It, um, and then if people ask me in terms of my work as, as a chaplain, why the suffering? Um, some of my interventions in that encounter would be that I would ask, so where is God in all of this? You know, if they espouse to be a believer, you know, what what role is God had in your life or, you know, what's your image of God? And if they're willing to talk about God, then, you know, I would listen about it. Um, some of the recent case that I had is with a patient who indeed said that why the suffering? It's like everything happened to her. Um, she happened to had some type of, um, I think, breast cancer. Um, and then in the end, what she would tell me is that she felt betrayed by God because she's always been a believer, but now because of too much suffering, she, 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 she started questioning, is indeed God, is, is he really loving and kind because this is too much suffering? Mm -hmm. And then in the end, I think what I ask her, because her faith is different from mine, which is kind of like most of my patient population, they're not Muslims. I would ask, what is it, the, say, the belief that you have regarding suffering? And then what are the sayings that you believe? And one of the things that she said is like, I don't understand. I, I really don't like it or hate it. I don't understand. I cannot explain to myself is the sayings that everything happened for a reason. And then she did mention a couple other things. And I said, okay. You can say that that saying is really not or the verse of the Bible or something that she held really close in, in her faith. And I said, if that really is not helpful, I want you to put a, uh, I want you to put that saying kind of like at arm's length or even further away from you. 
And then we start talking about God, and she was talking about Jesus. And I said, what do you believe about Jesus? What are the qualities of Jesus? And she would say, you know, I believe he is God, and he's kind, and he is loving. And I said, okay, put that sayings far from you, and then just embrace this other thing that you believe God is, you know. And then I, I said that I offered that as a choice, if, if it's something that she would um, attempt to to help to help her spirit you know to uplift her spirit and and then we cried together and then she said okay i could i probably could i could try to to pick the sayings that i feel no longer um true to my life but then focusing more about um, god and in her case she would focus more about jesus love and um teachings yeah, and and then I would say I I don't, and I'm here to listen if you're willing to talk, and I don't uh, I don't pretend that I possess all the answers, not at all. But I am I I'm here and I care. Sometimes that's enough for people to feel. You cry with patients sometimes. Oh yes, <laughs> it's um. I, it's, it's, it's impossible not to, and, and I think it's more authentic. That's another part of it. You have to put kind of like um, your authenticity and, you know, genuine care. And if you really do, then some stories are just so sad and tragic. And it invokes something within me too, you know, if I'm talking to, to a mother who, whose time is short and about to, to die. I, I am a mother. I have this transference, right? That, that can be really scary sometimes, but I go there, uh, you know, with my patients. Yeah. That sounds emotionally, I imagine it's, it's exhausting. I wonder how do you, uh, how do you water that seed within yourself, as, as you put it? How do you keep yourself going? How do you, what are some practices that you do to, to rest, to sustain yourself so that you can be so authentically present with your patients? And this is why I feel that I am um, really blessed. So as a Muslim, I do the, the daily prayers, right? And I do feel it's very important for me to break down my days because um, during the daytime um, at least I do a, a couple prayers you know the noon prayers and the afternoon prayers you know so the prayers alone um, the daily um, uh, mandatory prayers for Muslims really help orient myself you know as my supervisor in my first CPE clinical pastoral education told me, you know, Takwa, you don't have to carry this all alone. It's not, you know, it's not on your shoulder, everything. You can return it back to God. So I, I feel it is true. Sometimes we care, we care a lot, but then we, we are limited as human being. We cannot care for the whole world or, you know, the whole suffering or even, you know, a, a little bit of it, it's so much for, for one person to care, to carry on, on their own. So those prayers really help me. 
you know, I read, you know, I do my daily prayers, you know, I said, oh, Allah, please help, help me to care for these people, help me to care for your creation. Um, and then help me to care for myself. And I think in part of what I said, um, I know what Allah asked from me, is that because he created me with this funny bone inside me, and then not only I can, I do have funniness or, you know, things in my head that, you know, can amuse myself. I also am very forgetful. Oh my God, <laughs> I can be easily distracted. You know, I walk outside, I look at the sky, I look at the trees, I look at, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And then before I know it, I get carried away with, I'm very distracted by, by others, you know. If I'm really sad, I walk around someone said like, Takwa, I, I have to smile, you know, even though it's probably very sad, but because it's built within me, I'm, you know, I'm funny, I'm forgetful. So in a way, this work is kind of like really match who I am, my personality. Um, I probably told the stories, people hear it maybe, like my son, when, uh, when he was a teenager, we would walk around and then I would like wave to people in the neighborhood and he was like, is that your friend? And I would say, not really. Do you know that person? No, I said, why would you wave, mom? You're so weird. And I said, I'm so friendly. <laughs> so that's also <laughs> built within me that, you know, I'm friendly and I like to connect with people. And that's where I get my energy. I get my energy of being um, friendly with others because I know that's that, that's part of who I am. I'm here to help build connection with people. Oh, other things. I wear the headscarf, right? I cannot not, you know, it. I cannot afford not being friendly or helpful. You know, ever since 9/11, I'm kind of like, but that's not Muslim. But that's not Islam, right? All the 9/11 that happened. Yeah. And then it's almost like within me, like I have to, you know, present, I have to be the best. I have to, to, to let people know that Muslims are, can be helpful. Muslims can be uh, funny and can be, you know, all the other qualities. It, but it's not always, you know, it's not always like that. Some days are just too much. And I would welcome connection with others, you know. I'm very blessed. I have a husband who's very understanding. Like I mentioned, I have my sons and um, I have my circle of friends and I have my um, spiritual practice. And um, I have this, um, as Muslims, we are, well, there is this small supplications that we say throughout the day, you know, before you eat, before you um start something before you go outside the house there's always supplications that was taught by prophet muhammad to say and i use that as my arsenal quote unquote like before talking to you i know words meant a lot and carried a lot there's these prayers that i would say like um, uh, i forgot the whole trend the whole the translation of it but the gist is kind of like oh god this um lessons the knot in my tongue because it's part of the prayers of prophet musa it was mentioned in the quran that he was moses that he stuttered 
So when he had he had the the order to go meet um, Pharaoh, he would say, "How would I, you know, meet him and uh, you know invite him to the faith or remind him that he's been um, oppressive to others? I can't even speak straight." So there's there is the supplication that was taught for him, like lessen the knot in my tongue so people would understand me better. So that's what I said to you, like before I before we talk, I said, like my English is not my first language, but I had this confidence because I said that prayer. I hope that makes sense. I hear a lot of courage in you too, as you share your story with me in the, in the ways in which you are, are willing to show up all the time to people various states of of crisis spiritual crisis emotional crisis um, and uh, that you are willing to be fully present with people at all times and can just make the shift from one person to the next and and meet people where they are and, and then be able to go outside and laugh at something simple like waving to a stranger or, or looking yeah. at a cloud or a tree. And like, mm -hmm. those are, I hear so many different spiritual gifts in you, gifts of humor and, and oh, joy and presence. Uh, and, and it all kind of comes back to courage for me uh, mm -hmm. because you are, you talk about surrendering to God, right? Surrendering to the moment that just is like uh, you are you know whatever it is that you need to be in that moment that you will will uh you'll show up it's like a strength conditioning or like a runner uh, mm -hmm. and, you know listening to you i i think oh i would be grouchy after a day of work like that so mm -hmm. i would i'd feel like i'd have nothing left to give to you know my mm -hmm. family um, but what I hear from you is that it, that work actually like strengthens those kindness muscles, those compassion muscles. Uh, the yeah. more you do it, the more you seem to have. Yeah. Yeah. You summarize it really nicely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, uh, one more thing. I'm, so I'm training to become a, a spiritual companion and you mentioned something, a story with the woman who was having a lot of doubts about God, that she was, because of her suffering, she decided that she wasn't sure she believed in God anymore. And you were able to sort of steer her towards a, a more, uh, a more hopeful, more, uh, a more flourishing belief. Uh, how do you, how do you recognize or identify when somebody is uh, maybe holding on to a, a religious belief or a passage, whatever it is that, that you sense is sort of hindering their ability to, uh, to be fully present to themselves or, or to their suffering? Uh, how do you identify that? And then how do you, how do you offer that, that course change uh, as somebody who is in a an interfaith role in a in a chaplain role, um, mm -hmm. right? Without so, so necessarily prescribing, you know, saying, "Oh, you shouldn't think that way. You should think this way." Right, and I think that's right. I think 
um, I think I have to make a clarification. In yeah. that case, when I when when we were talking about what would be helpful to you and what would not be helpful, and then we're talking about the image of God, is because the patient um, wanted it and needed it. Does that make sense? So if I am, because there is also another patient recently who had the crisis of faith, like God turned his face and there's so much suffering and I don't even know if um, afterlife is real anymore. I used to be such a believer, right? And I don't sense, I think this is part like intuition and part um, clarifying questions with the person that I'm attending with. Um, in this later case, I don't have the feeling that the patient needed God because he's still so angry at God at the moment that we talk. So I'm not asking him the same questions that I asked the patient prior to that. The patient that, you know, the female patient that I talked prior, she is in a place where I think she spent all her anger already and she's just very sad and, you know, not knowing where to go with all of this suffering. But she still believes because belief is a big part of her. She wants to believe. And that's why my in encounter and intervention is that way of kind of like, what about the belief that you hold on so dearly? And that's why we talk the way we talk. And then for the, this other male patient, who is still very much um, in his um, in his anger, in his disappointment of how the, uh, one of the things he said was that the, the the what's the English expression? The deck is stacked against me. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, the deck is stacked against me. Right. Yeah. Yes, the deck is stacked against me. You know, from the very beginning. It's like this is a betrayal of my body. Why the cancer happened? So he's still in that, and I, um, like I mentioned, I feel that he's he's not moving forward until he's done with that. So I'm not my inter my and my intervention is not to ask more about God, right? That would be um, that would not get me any closer to him or you know on his side or you know being you know make him feel supported or understood um, actually part of me um, part of my intervention is actually that i ask are you angry with god and he said i don't know and i said um i maybe i understand i said it's if you're angry with god and then some of the ways that i sometimes you know said to to my patient is that it's god created us with all of these emotions and feelings um i i think he understand if we are encountering angry but i also know as a as a practicing muslim i said it's sometimes you know how, the questions like how dare you get angry at god so, so I I might get in trouble for saying this, but I said, but I check it with other people, you know, scholars of Islam, and then I said, 
Oh yeah, let me make that. I'm not a scholar. <laughs> I am a practicing chaplain, so I know. I know, and I went to kind of like seminary and theological school. Um, what I said is that I I came up with this um, hamburger style. I said, so you sandwich that anger right in the middle of. I'm really grateful to you, oh Lord. I'm really, um, uh, you know, with thank you and please help me get better. But I'm really like disappointed or like frustrated. Is this the, the faith that you gave me? There in the middle, that anger, that's I qualified as anger. And then you sandwich it again with, um, but please help me get better and thank you. So that's a lot of humbleness i think you have to know who your god is and who you are for me to be able to come like i am just your creation and i'm struggling to know what's the intended you know end of my life or what is it that i still need to do or where do you want me to take this life in which direction um, I don't know if that answer your question. Yeah, it's really helpful. So you're, you're able to kind of honor that person's full spectrum of feelings and say like, all of that is perfectly valid. Yes. And all of it is, is perfect, is perfectly right. human. Right. <laughs> perfectly human encounter with God or with spirit. Right, right. Yeah. That's really helpful. We'll talk as we as we come to the end of our time. I'm so grateful for your sharing. Is there anything that you would like to share that I haven't asked about or that's on your heart or that you think we would like to hear? Um, I think um, what do I want to say more? I think I want to say more about that kindness and generosity. Oh, let me close with a story, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, I started um, visiting patients uh, for quite some time before I go and, you know, get trained to be a chaplain. Um, so, when we moved to America, it's just me, my husband, and our, and our kids, right? Um, one of them was born here. Um, so my mom and my parents and siblings, everybody's in Indonesia and they're still, uh, they still are. So one of the questions that mom asked me when she knows my activity is visiting patients in the hospital, she would say, why would you want to do that? She said, like, I don't want to go to like, uh, places of people that sick or, you know, and then mom believe in this energy and i also believe in energy she said like don't they suck your energy away like your health energy and then you know because they want to get better they need that energy <laughs> because you're healthy right so i'm kind of like stunned with her question but then it turns out that it helped me have a framework of you know where my energy is coming from so i'm like huh yeah mom i don't know why would i want to do that and how, what would I do with this energy, you know, when they're sucking my good energy, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, then I came, like, with an answer. I said to her, like, 
But if I am connected to the source of all energy, aka Allah, and I would say, well, then I should never be running out of energy. So, and I, I feel good about that answer because it helps me, um, it helps boost my understanding and my resiliency. I think it's okay. I can be kind and I can be generous and I can give people. I can, you know, I can be attentive and authentic and attending to others because I think I am supported by the most kind, the most wonderful, the most powerful, the most, you know, all the superlative that, you know, I have an understanding and Muslims have an understanding of God, the most forgiving. And, you know, and part of it is also like understanding my own um, shortcomings. I'm, you know, part of the prayers that I always, you know, said, like glory be to you oh god praise be to you there's no god but you and um, help me worship the right way and i return back to you and forgive me there's a lot of forgiveness and asking allah you know because what i thought is perfect right now or the good answer might not be really but yeah, we don't know but my intention is to do good If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others.